This morning, uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter 10, and we're going to start just at verse 38 to read here for just a moment. We won't read a a lot due to uh, the time, and I'd like for us to look at a good part of this chapter, if we may, and it's 39 verses, so we won't be able to spend a lot of time. So let's stand together. Uh, Good to see you this morning. It's good to be out today, and uh, we've got a good crowd here this morning in our early service, and we are glad for you to be here. Verse 38, I think, actually goes with chapter 10. Uh, And it says, and because of all this, now, remember last week we talked about this long prayer, right? This this passionate prayer that was prayed. Um, And then because of all this, we make a sure covenant and write it. Our leaders, our Levites, and our priests seal it. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah, the governor, uh, the son of Hakaliah and Zedekiah, and then we read Sarah and Azariah and Jeremiah, Pashur, uh, many of these names, which are the priests, which are leaders of the people, which are, oh, thank you, brother. Yeah. A servant's heart, a servant's heart. He knew I was struggling. Thank you, dear brother. Um, and then if you go down to verse 28, it says, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, uh, the Nethanim, these would have been the slave servants uh, there in the temple, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of, of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding, these joined with their brethren, their nobles, and entered into a curse and an oath to walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. And we're going to stop there for now. Let's pray. Let's pray. <clears throat> Father, in this moment, we, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Father, for your goodness and your mercy, for your grace. Father, in this moment, as we have come together to worship you, We are so thankful, Lord, for your forgiveness. We are so thankful for the blood of Jesus, which cleanses us from all sin. And so, Lord, today, I I thank you for your people. I thank you for our time together to, to praise your name. And we thank you already for our time of worship. As we look to your word, Lord, would you give us understanding? And Lord, would you give us a resolve to be obedient to all that you command us to do. Father, I pray for the voice to speak. I pray for just the words I need to say. In in Jesus, our Lord, our Savior, I ask these things. And all God's people said, Amen. You may be seated. You may be seated. I came across something yesterday that um, it's most of you would be familiar with the Navy SEALs. Right, uh, part of our special forces. Not only, of course, we would have the Army Rangers, right, the Green Beret, the Marines, and and I may be leaving out some of our other special forces. Anybody here a Navy SEAL or part of the special forces? Anyone? Anyone here? Anyone a veteran? Anyone here a veteran? I am not, but uh, listen, we appreciate all of our veterans. Amen. Appreciate all of our veterans and all that of uh, those that have served. But I came across this. Uh, this was the, if it is, it's, uh, or what it is, is the philosophy of the Navy SEAL. I, I won't have time to read all of it. I encourage you to Google it, I guess, I would say, to, to find But let me read part of it. Gives you a flavor 
for someone that is a seal. In times of war or uncertainty, there is a special breed of warrior ready to answer our nation's call. A common man with uncommon desire to succeed. Forged by adversity, he stands along, alongside America's finest special operations forces to serve his country and the American people and to protect their way of life. I am that man. I love that. I am that, that man. It talks about how the trident, remember the three-pronged spear, right? The trident is a symbol of honor and heritage bestowed upon me by the heroes who have gone before. It embodies the trust of those whom I have sworn to protect. By wearing the trident, I accept the responsibility of my chosen profession and way of life. It is a privilege that I must earn every day. Now I'm going to skim just a little. He talks about my loyalty to country and team is beyond reproach. I serve with honor on and off the battlefield. Um, I will never quit. I preserve and thrive on adversity. Um, I will get back up. If knocked down, I will get back up every time. My training is never complete. We train for war and fight to win. The last paragraph. Brave men who have fought and died building the proud tradition and feared reputation that I am bound to uphold. In the worst of conditions, the legacy of my teammates steadies my resolve and silently guides my every deed. I will not fail. Over and over again, does it mention here the resolve, I will not fail, I'm above reproach, no matter what may come. And, 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 I, and listen, I love that. And then, then at the beginning of saying that I'm, I'm that person. Now, if someone will do this to serve and uphold the Constitution, right, and to serve our country and, and, and to protect the American citizens, right, which and my hat's off to, to these and others who are serving and have served, how much more should we, as people of God, stand up to say, I belong to Christ, I'm not ashamed, no matter what may come my way, I'm following him. How much more, right? I, I'm just thinking this. And, and really, I think that's what we have when we come to chapter 10. We, we have this group of people. Oh, I was trying to remember 82, 84 names that's listed here. I'll let you count those. Uh, but over 80 names of folks that actually signed this along with others that, that may not, that their names are not there, but basically said, we're going to do what God wants us to do. And I want to challenge you to, what would happen today, church, if we as God's people, First Baptist Church, but along with all of God's people, would stand up and say, we're going to do what God says to do. Think about that. Think about that. Um, and I believe that's what is happening here in in Nehemiah 10, someone said it's really a covenant to keep the covenant. <laughs> and that's really kind of what it is. And, and I want us to look at three things. And, and, and I entitled this, I brought this from, uh, from Warren Wiersbe um, and the outline. His outline was better than mine, so I took that. But so after we say amen, after we say amen. Now, you know, you think about that because chapter 9 was this long prayer, wasn't it? Chapter 9 was this long, passionate prayer, and we looked at that as much as we could last week. Well, what happened after they said amen? Now, you won't read amen in the text, but when, when we pray a prayer, Lord, I want to do this, what happens after we say amen? What happens after we say amen and leave this service today? 
What happens when we come before God and, and God speaks to our hearts and said, here's what you need to do. What happens after that? Well, we'll see with the people of God here, they did three things. First of all, they surrendered to the word of God. They surrendered to the word of God. Secondly, they set themselves apart as the people of God. And then thirdly, they supported the work uh, of the house of God. And, and that term is used uh, several times in the latter part of the chapter. So I want us to look uh, this morning uh, with what time we have today at these three things. And I'm going to move quickly. First, first of all, we see them surrendering to the word of God. Surrendering to the word of God. In fact, if you look back to verse 29, verse 29, chapter 10, verse 20, these, these join with their brethren, their nobles, and enter into a curse and an oath. A curse if I do not do this, an oath of here's what I'm going to do, right? A curse and an oath, Old Testament uh, thinking and, and ways of doing things. To walk in God's law, which was given by Moses, the servant of God, and to observe and do all the commandments of the Lord our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes. Two things they said, here's what we're going to do. We're going to walk in God's law. What, that, what does that mean? Well, it means we're going to live, right? The word walk there, meaning to live. We're going to live and do what God has told us to do and to observe, to obey to if God says it then we're going to do it so we're going to walk and observe all that God has has called us to do now now who was it that made this this uh commitment this firm agreement this firm commitment well we'll see it started with the leaders again going back to the last chapter you remember in verse 36 basically here was the appeal here are your servants today right and then in verse 38 it says and because of all this and basically, remember the appeal made in verses 36 and 37 of chapter 9 was basically this. God, you have been faithful in the past in spite of the faithlessness of your people. Would you do it again? God, you have always been faithful. We need you. We're in distress. Would you do, us a, would you do it again? And then what happens? It says, and because of all this, we made a sure covenant and write it. Now, in the New King James, it has the word covenant in italics. It really doesn't say covenant. It's not there. But it means that. It means to cut, and they would cut a covenant normally. So, so the, the, the translators of New King James added the word. Your, your translation may say firm agreement. It may say a promise, right? We're making this agreement, this firm agreement, this, this commitment. Here's what we're going to do. Our leaders, our priests, our Levites, seal it. And as Miss Elena said, that, that's a serious business. When they would seal something, this, this, was, this was it. So who seals it? Well, look who heads up the list in chapter 10, verse 1. Now, those who placed their seal on the document were Nehemiah. <laughs> You'd think, well, the book was named after, his, after him. He'd probably be good, right? Well, but I don't think that's the reason why, because the book was named after him. No, the, Nehemiah the governor. Remember, here was the cupbearer to the king back in chapter 1, remember, in chapter 2. Here it is now. He's the governor, the son of Hakaliah. And then it mentions Zedekiah and Sarai and Azariah and Jeremiah and all these folks. These were the priests, verse 8. That's what it tells us. Here's a listing of, of the priests. And then verse 9, the Levites. Right, Joshua, the son of Hezaniah and Banu and the sons of Henadad and Cadmiel and others. Then verse 14, the leaders of the people. See, and they, and they give their names, right? And then verse 28, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the, the Nethanim. Nethanim were, were servants who also served in the, in the temple, my understanding. 
and all those who had separated themselves from, from the peoples of the lands of the law of their God. See, so here it is, but it, it heads up and it starts with the leadership. I understand this probably, maybe not as much as I ought to at times, but no one will give a greater account of this church at this particular time than me. And I understand that. And I, I try to be mindful of this, of never to ask you to do something that I'm not willing to do. Because I think that's what I ought to be doing, right? Leading the way. Anybody ever hear, hear this saying, well, do as, I, do as I say, do, not as I do. You ever, you ever hear that? You ever heard that? <laughs> you ever heard that? <laughs> I think that's what I was getting ready to say. You ever heard that? <laughs> yeah, do as I say, do not. Well, that really doesn't just, it really doesn't carry any weight, does it? It's said, wait a minute, if it's that important, why aren't you doing it, right? So, but the point is, we see Nehemiah heading up the list. And so I would say today, for, for me as pastor, I need to be leading the way and setting the example. I think our whole staff ought to be doing that, and I think they do. Of leading the way, deacons, listen, if you're a deacon in this church, you have been set aside, called, and, 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 and by, the, by the Lord and by this church to serve, so, so deek, right? If you're a deacon, deek, and I thank the Lord for you. Sunday school teachers, all those who are in leadership, whether you're a team leader, whatever, small group leader, we must set the example before, before others. And we see the leaders here doing just that. Um, I guess it just really comes down to this. We have to decide, is this book really different than any other book? Is this really the Word of God? And I believe it is. Amen? I believe it is. So if God says it, then we ought to obey. Back during the time of the writing of the, Decl the Declaration of Independence. Now just visualize that in your mind. Remember your school days? Mine's kind of fuzzy, but... Remember the Declaration of Independence and there was a name signed at the bottom of the Declaration of Independence that was larger than any other name. Somebody tell me, what was that name? John Hancock. And it's actually become synonymous, hasn't it? Put your John Hancock down here, <laughs> right? You know, we use that, don't you? I've signed your John Hancock. Now, and, and you probably know what I've read, the, the reason why he signed it so large, and this, I'm going to quote him. He said, I want the fat old king to be able to read it without his spectacles. <laughs> Spectacles, probably. But I want it, I'm putting it in writing. Now, we don't really like to put things in writing, do we? Have you ever noticed when, sometimes when you're buying something? I've, I've heard this, and I don't know, there's some psychology, I think, in it of signing your name, because we don't like to sign our name. And so the more times they can get you to sign your name, then the easier it is finally to sign your name for real. Anybody else ever heard that? Maybe I dreamed that and made it up. But anyway, okay, Fred, thank you. So I do think there is something behind that. And a lot of times, even at church, we say, well, I don't really want to stay. I don't really want to sign my name on that, because something might happen. Well, that's true, and everybody has those things that happen, but sometimes we don't want to... Sometimes we really just don't want to stand up and be counted. Sometimes we want to give ourselves an out. But there comes a time that, that I believe that as the people of God, we just need to say, listen, I'm on the Lord's side. <laughs> what may come may come. What may happen may happen, but I'm on the Lord's side. And, and, and to stand up and, and to be counted. And to... Surrender ourselves to the Word of God. I must move on. I must move on. Secondly, also they not only surrendered, listen, to the Word of God. Will you do that today? Will you say, here's God's Word. I'm going to treat it as God's Word, the living Word of God, sharper than any two-edged sword. I'm going to do what God says uh, for me to do. Lord willing, I'm going to do my best. Would you say that? And also to separate as the people of God. To separate 
as the people of God. Now, going back to verse 28, now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the Nethanim, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the land to the law of God. Their wives, their sons, their daughters, everyone who had knowledge and understanding. Look in verse 30, verse 30. We would not give our daughters as wives to the peoples of the lands, nor take their daughters for our sons. This was a problem for Israel. Remember, God had told his people, you shall not marry in the other country, other lands, other nations, other peoples. Please hear me say this in case you have missed this. This was not an issue of race. It's an issue of faith. It's not an issue of race. It was an issue of faith. Um, and so because we know there were some, think about Ruth. Ruth was what? She was a Moabitess, right? But she came to trust in the one true God uh, through Naomi and, and, and came into the, in, in, in the family line of Jesus, <laughs> right? So, but, but, but the point is, it was an issue of faith. And they were not to marry outside of, of the people of God. And, and they got into trouble with that. So, so as we think about this today, well, let me... Let me say this, I know we're, but just if you will, chapter 13, we probably won't have time to look at that much, but we see the people kind of have a backslide a little bit uh, later in the end of the chapter. And in chapter 13, the very last chapter uh, in, in Nehemiah, and here is a problem that they, they have in, in verse 23, it says, in those days I also saw Jews, verse 23, chapter 13, verse 23, says, says, in those days I also saw Jews who had married women of Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab, and, and half of their children spoke the language of Ashdod and could not speak the language of Judah, but spoke according to the language of one or the other people. So I contended with them. <laughs> I contended. Uh, there was, there was a, uh, there was a, there was some friction here, right? So I contended with them and cursed them. Now, please do not think that Nehemiah said a bad word to him. That's not what it means. He pronounced a curse on them for that. Struck some of them and pulled out their hair. So, well, well that, that sounds like they had a rough day at church. Yeah, I think they did. Um, I just think sometimes how easily we get our feelings hurt Nehemiah just kind of took charge here, didn't he? <laughs> now, I'm not advocating this. Please don't hear me. But I'm just telling you, this is what happened. But, and listen, and made them swear by God, verse 25, saying, You shall not give your daughters as wives to their sons, nor take your daughters for your sons or yourselves. Did not Solomon, king of Israel, sin by these things? Yet among many nations there was no king like him who was beloved of his God, and God made him king over all Israel. Nevertheless, pagan women caused even him to sin, should we then, uh, should we then hear of your doing all this great evil, transgressing against God by marrying pagan women? Now, let me just say this: He uses he uses Solomon as an example. Remember, Solomon had what seven hundred wives, you know. And why did Solomon marry so many? No doubt, it was a political move. How do you get to be the friend of another king? You marry a daughter, and he did that. And the kingdom expanded, but it expanded at great price because these pagan women who did not worship the one true God, they brought their idols with them. 
And after a while, they finally talked old Solomon into building altars to their gods. You can read about it in the scriptures because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy, and mamas wasn't happy. And so finally, he started building these other or other altars to other gods. And the Bible says of Solomon, the man of God, of Solomon, his heart was not perfect toward God. That's his argument. That's his point. Here it is, and I've got to move on. But here's the point today, and I would say to anybody that is single, single again or whatever, marry in the Lord. That's the lesson. Marry in the Lord. I'm going to tell our students that. There'll be three or four rows of them uh, this morning. If it's like every other service, we're so thankful to have so many students and children. Praise God for all of Listen, Lance and Rhonda, everybody doing a wonderful job, but just, but just, I just... Anyway, just praise God. My point is, my point is, marry in the Lord. Now, for those of us already married, you say, well, I guess that applies to me. What is it today we need to separate from? What is it in your life that God has put his finger on that is unholy, that is unclean, that is, that, that, that is not of him, right? And scripture teaches that, that we need to, to separate from, to set ourselves apart as, as the people of God. So I must move on. Uh, marriage was one thing. The other is that of the Sabbath. Okay, the Sabbath. Look, look, um, look in verse 31. So here it again. This is under point two of setting ourselves apart as the people of God. Verse 31. If the peoples of the land brought wares or any grain to sell on the Sabbath day, we would not buy it from them on the Sabbath or on a holy day, and we would forego the seventh year's produce and the exacting of every debt. Again, chapter 13, and we don't have time really to read that, but in chapter 13, we, we see again, there were those that would bring their wares to sell on the Sabbath. There were the, 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 even the Jewish people sometimes would be in the wine press and bringing in the sheaves and everything else working on the Sabbath. Remember the Sabbath, Sabbath, it's easy for me to say, Sabbath is what day? Saturday. Yeah, Saturday. Now, you say, well, if, if the Sabbath was Saturday, why do we worship on Sunday? That's a good question, right? And the answer is that because the Lord Jesus arose on Sunday, the first day of the week, the Lord's Day, right? Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 16, he talks about when you gather, you know, on the first day of the week, right? John, in the book of the Revelation, talks about it was the Lord's Day, right? Now, he was in the Spirit, the Lord's Day. So that's why we, now there are churches that still worship on on Saturday, Seventh-day Adventist. I think there may be also a Seventh-day Baptist. Um, these, these chairs we have, these new chairs, we, we purchased, uh, purchased those from a Seventh-day Adventist school or church. But, but my point is, the thing here, say, well, what does that have to do with us today? Well, here's the thing. God did not make you or me to, to go 24-7. Our society tells you to go 24-7. But God didn't make us that way. God rested on the Sabbath, not because he was tired, but to set an example for us. Saturday, whether it be Saturday or whether it be Sunday that we worship, everybody needs a Sabbath day. And again, it could be the Lord's day. And I think this is a good day. And it's a day to worship him, right? And, and it's a day to, to rest. In our, in our Western mindset, we think resting means we're lazy. No, God didn't create us to go 24-7. So I think we don't want to get legalistic with it, um, and I know sometimes people can, but I think we need a day, as Scripture teaches, to rest, to, to worship God first and to rest, and we need that. Now, I know some of you might be thinking, well, 
Do you think we shouldn't go out to eat? I'm not going to tell you not to go out to eat on Sundays. I've heard that argument. Listen, I'll leave that between you and the Lord. But can I say this? If you do go out to eat, and we do too, a lot of Sundays. Listen, if you do go out and eat on Sunday, would you be kind? And would you be um, uh, kind and compassionate and, and generous if you leave a tip? Amen? Are you with me? Yeah. Because sometimes, you know... Let me just tell you a little story. There's a little, there's a little place over to eat. Uh, you've probably never heard of it. A little town called, it isn't, it isn't even a town. It's a little community called Ball Play. There's a great little restaurant over there in Ball Play called Beans and Greens. Ah, oh, listen, we have kindred spirits. <laughs> we used to go there a lot, and we still go there occasionally. I see my Beans and Greens brother back there in the back. But anyway, but... Um, uh, it had been a while, and it's been a while now, but we used to go there quite a bit, and then uh, it had been a while since I'd been there, and we went back, and we noticed there was a sign that said, please wait to be seated. You, or no, maybe it was this. It may, it may say that, but it's also pay before you eat, or something like that. Uh, and, and I thought, pay before you eat? What in the world? Anyway, so he asked, hey, do we need to pay first? No, 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 we just do that on Sundays. They may do it on weekends, but they do it on Sundays, and here's why they did it, started doing this on Sundays. Because they had a big crowd on Sundays, no doubt had a lot of church people on Sundays, and people were leaving without paying. What a testimony for the Lord. And I remember thinking, my goodness, why Sunday? I mean, why? My point is, if you go out on Sunday, listen, be generous, amen, and be kind, be kind. So let, me, let me move on. We're, we're out of time. Listen, so, so let me just say this. Try to get the big picture here. Here's one more point. First of all, we need to, we need, first of all, surrender to the Word of God, set ourselves apart as the people of God, right, of how we live, right, and what we do and what we don't do, but then also supporting the work of God. Um, and part of that, it talked about the seventh year. I didn't even get to really mention in verse 31, they were going to forego the seventh year produce. This was every seventh year. They would let the ground lie fallow, right? And then also they would, would not exact or would not collect the debt every seventh year. And then also the year of Jubilee, every 50th year. You had to, you had to trust God in that, right? You had to trust God in that. And so, but then we also see verse 32. Also, we made ordinances for ourselves to exact from ourselves yearly one-third of a shekel for the service of the house of our God. Um, so they are collecting one-third shekel. It was one-half shekel. <laughs> and apparently they made some concessions due to the times. But, but here's what I want you to see. There's three things mentioned. I'm just going to try to read through it. And, and I'm not going to read through all the scripture. But I'll find it here in just a second. It's first of all about the temple tax. Secondly, it was about the wood offering. Verse 34 says, we cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to the Father's houses at the appointed times year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law. So, you know, some were not priests, some were not Levites, but some could just bring wood to keep the fire burning. I thought about that in relation to our church this morning. Just listen, before you got here, some of you have been here for a while. But before you got here, there were people here setting up chairs, people here getting musical stuff ready, people here making coffee, you know, and, and, and people here doing other things, that, uh, putting out signs. That happens every week. Happens every week. You know, we're, we're two names away from getting our, uh, our team to take our carpet back up. My point is, you may not be the preacher, you may not be a singer, but you know, there's something for everybody to do. 
Amen? Yeah, amen. So, so thank you for serving, but there's something for everybody doing. It may be just to bring wood so we can keep the fire burning, right? So to speak. The first fruits, look at verse 35. And we made ordinances to bring the first fruits of our ground and the first fruits of all the fruit of the trees year by year to the house of the Lord. Listen, the first fruits idea, and you can read through, to bring our first and our best to the Lord. Now, I like leftovers, but you know what? God doesn't deserve them. And we should never give our Lord our leftovers. It ought to be first and best. Amen? Yeah. Also, the tithe is mentioned. First fruits, the wood offering, the temple tax, the tithes, verse 37. To bring the first fruits of our dough, the offerings of fruit of all kinds of trees, a new wine, oil to the priest, to the storerooms, to the house of our God. That, that phrase, house of our God, is used like nine times here. And to bring the tithes of our land to the Levites. The Levites should receive the tithes in all of our farming communities. And the priests, the descendant of Aaron, shall be with the Levites when the Levites receive tithes. And the Levites shall bring up a tenth of the tithes to the house of our God, to the rooms in the storehouse. And you can read that. And, but here's what I want you to see. It talks about the tithe. The tithe means a tenth. Right? I know, listen, a lot of you have been saved uh, as long or longer than I have. So we understand probably this premise. So younger believers, uh, newer believers may not understand. Tithe means a tenth. So they would bring their tithes to the Levites, and then it seems the Levites would bring a tithe of the tithe to the, to, to the priest, right? And, and so, but we, we come to the New Testament, and some would say, well, but the New Testament doesn't say anything about a tithe, right? Well, actually, it does. Now, I'm going to paraphrase, but you check it. When Jesus, speaking to the Pharisees, and the Pharisees were really quick to tithe even on the, on the plants they grew, right? They would tithe on that, but, but their hearts were far from God. So basically what he's telling them, you need to have a heart for God, not leaving the other undone. Now, I'm paraphrasing, but that's what he says, not leaving the other undone. Paul talks about 1 Corinthians 16. Jot that down. We don't have time to look at it. 1 Corinthians 16, 1 and 2, when you come together... When you come together, right, first day of the week, you know, set aside uh, 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 something that uh, in proportion to what you're earning, what you're making, right? And then 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, that's where in chapter 9, you know, God loves a cheerful giver, right? But basically, there's, there's, that is one of the most concise, compacted teaching on giving in the New Testament, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. And basically it's this, Paul said, hey, if you sow sparingly, you reap sparingly, <laughs> right? Sow generously and you reap generously. God loves a cheerful giver, not to give grudgingly or under, right, uh, under proportion, but so, or give proportionately. My point is this, if in the Old Testament, the 10th was required, how much more in the New Testament, that ought to be our standard to start and even exceed, I wasn't expecting an amen on that, but I was giving you an opportunity. So all you preachers think about is money. No, not really, but you know, the Bible has a lot to say about our attitude toward money. You know, Jesus had a lot to say. When a guy said, Master, teacher, make my brother split the inheritance with me. He said, man, who made me an arbiter between you? So the point is, if under the law, 10% was required, how much more should we go beyond that? And that seems to be what the New Testament is to excel. In fact, that's one translation uses that in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, to excel in the grace of giving. Here's my point. 
If you're not at 10% today, you pray about that. You and your family take that to the Lord. That's a good place to start. Work toward that. Amen? Work toward that. I don't think you need to, you know, <laughs> let your house, if you've got a mortgage to pay, but work toward that. How can we do that? If you're at 10%, God may be saying, hey, you can give 12% or you can give 15%. That's between you and the Lord. But the point is, we'll never outgive God. A lot of you know this. I'm preaching to the choir. One reason we'll never outgive God is one old, one old boy said, God has a bigger shovel. It's true, isn't it? No matter how much we give. Because it all belongs to Him, doesn't it? See, and here's the thing, guys. When we grow in the Lord, we understand, hey, it all belongs to God. He's just letting me be a, you know, a steward of it for a while. But, but as we grow in the grace, other graces, we ought to grow in our giving as well. So we're going to close with this today. What happens after we say amen today? Are we going to surrender to the Word of God? Whatever it is God's speaking to your heart today, and I know we didn't get through all of our Scripture like I would like to have, but you read that. Secondly, are we going to separate ourselves from the world to live as God's people? What is it in your life you need to do in order to do that? And thirdly, are we going to support the work of the ministry? That's part of our growing in Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Let's pray. So right now, as we come before the Lord, just in this moments, in these moments, what is it God's dealing with your heart about today? What is it that God spoke to you about um, this morning? You know, by His Spirit, He speaks to our hearts and He, um, he, he tailor-makes His Word, doesn't He? Um, I found that to be true so many times when someone would come up to me and said, <clears throat> say something like, well, I, I sure appreciate what you said about this and this and that. And, and I'm thinking, man, I never even had that on my mind. <laughs> I may have said this, but I meant that. But the Holy Spirit took that to that person's heart of just what was needed. And that's what He does. So today, just between you and the Lord today, what is it that needs to happen in your life this morning? Um, what relationship needs to be mended? What sin needs to be confessed? What, what command needs to be obeyed? What attitude needs to change? I don't know. I'm just, just helping you think. What is it today? that God's put his finger on, and may we be obedient to him. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior, oh, listen, won't you come today? Would you give your heart to him this morning? Father, would you speak to our hearts today? And uh, we thank you, Lord, for your word. And, and Lord, I, I, I pray bless my feeble attempt in trying to preach this passage today. Would you take it to our hearts, just what we need to hear? Hey, thank you for worshiping with us today here at First Baptist Church. Listen, if we could be of service to you in any way, please don't hesitate to contact us. Uh, you can call our church office Monday through Friday. You can send us an email, a Facebook message. We would love to hear from you. Uh, so until next time, uh, let's keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith.